0: Morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well, children. You can be released as I see the children running out of here. Very good. <laughs> They're like, let's get going <laughs> quick. So before we get started, I just want to make a, a quick announcement as a, a thank you. Last Sunday after the service, we had a partners meeting, and during that meeting, we were kind of sharing some some needs that we had of, of various responsibilities that we kind of put together around a finance team and an administrative team and, and having leaders for each of those teams. And so I just want to say thank you. We had several people who said that they were willing to help lead that team, other people who said they were willing to help serve on that team, and and really by God's grace, we're able to say now just one week later, we have a position in each of those roles. Uh, You'll see their names up on the screen. Stephen Bean's going to be leading that finance team. Um, He's right up here in the red. Uh, I think celebrating Alabama's win. Or no, Arkansas. Oh, that's probably bad, isn't it? <laughs> Arkansas's win last night. So bad. So bad. Um, but he's going to be hitting up the finance team. So if you've also kind of said that you were interested in helping on that team, you'll probably be hearing from him in the coming weeks, as well as Elizabeth McCrate, who will be hitting up our administrative team and, and running lead on that. And so I'm so grateful for, for both of them, but also for everyone who kind of said they were willing to help those who will be serving on the teams. Just thank you tremendously. So so excited for that. So if you will, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue by looking in verse 12. As we continue to work through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, a church that he helped plant several years prior. Now, if you remember, Paul's in prison, he's writing to this church in Philippi, encouraging them as we look into that. But as you turn there, I want to start with this question Do you ever feel like you're spiritually inferior to others? Like somehow they're on this different spiritual plane in their experience with God. You hear their testimony, you hear their story, or maybe you hear a sermon and you're like, that sounds amazing, I wish that was my story. Like their experience, their prayer life seems so much deeper than mine. Their, their walk with God just seems like it's on this, this other plane, these things that are talked about just aren't my experience. And then you begin to wonder, like, I don't rejoice in God like like they do. My prayers aren't experienced like theirs are. Last week's sermon, I think, can have that effect. Like, just listen to some of these things that that the Apostle Paul said. Indeed, I I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of, of knowing Christ. Like Paul has this singular focus that the power of God, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. It's like, wow, to have such devotion. Then earlier, just the verses right before we're going to look at, that I may know him, that I might know God, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death. That by any means possible, I might obtain the resurrection from the dead. That this reality would be mine. And you're like, he, his desire above everything else is to know God. And I'm like, I'm just trying not to cuss when I stub my toe. Like, or get distracted while I'm praying. And here's Paul. Like, oh, it's all lost. It's all rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And what happens often, unfortunately, is we, when we compare ourselves to others, when we assume that somebody else is on this spiritual plane beyond ourselves, it leads to condemnation. Like, man, something must be wrong with me. It can lead to Exhaustion like, I've tried, I've tried, and yet these things I see described in Scripture just constantly feel out of gratitude is replaced with rejoicing where there is no more sickness, no more sin, no more despair. There is a kingdom to which Paul is pursuing Revelation 21 says, "In this king, King Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes in his kingdom, death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any anymore. for the former things have passed away." And then we think about what? The Apostle Paul has says, oh, to know God, to see him, not as in some distorted mirror, but to stand and see him face to face, to look in his eyes and to know him. I long for that, where I'm not looking through this broken image, where I'm not looking through broken affections that rage within me. I long to see the power of God at work in my life where there's no more sin, where there's no more brokenness. I long for that. And he paints this beautiful picture that is true of a kingdom of which he is not presently at. That's what we see him say. Not that I have obtained this. Because people hear Paul and they're like, he must be there. He must experience something that isn't mine yet. And Paul's like, no, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there. I haven't obtained this. I'm talking about something I am pressing in toward that I long for. And don't think that I'm perfect in this pursuit. He's saying, I'm not already perfect. I will be. One day I will be without sin, but I am not yet. Sometimes we hear the Apostle Paul or others speak of truths that are absolutely true in God, but not yet. It still lay ahead. And sometimes we become discouraged because we think they've already obtained something, that they're already made perfect. And we see ourselves having not obtained that, not being perfect. And the temptation then is to give up and Paul's like don't i'm pursuing this with you i'm longing for this with you imagine that that after the service we're all going to go on vacation together right i know like some of you are just coming off a of spring break others are coming into it but let's imagine this coming week we get spring break together all of us no work anything we're going to go on vacation and it's to a mansion down in the Florida Keys so large that each of us is going to have our own suite right it's right on the water that the water is just crystal clear it's like on this peninsula that the this private beach wraps around that that'll just be ours you can watch the sun rise on one side of the house and watch it set on the other like it's amazing it's going to be beautiful There'll be no fighting, no bickering, no complaining—like none of that. But we're each going to go home, and we're going to pack, and then I'm going to give you guys like GPS coordinates, and then we'll we'll get there. But the reality is, we're going to get home, and some of us have to do laundry. Some kids can't find their shoes, so we're going to get on the road at different times, right? Some of those who get on the road earlier text the group, and they're like, "Hey, there's traffic along the road." You might want to take this detour so you don't hit the traffic. You need to look out for this. They're, they're doing construction on this road. Others get, get pictures from the house and they're like, hey, look at this. Like, this is what awaits us. Isn't this beautiful? And then, then the question comes, your spouse, who's like, what, did they already get there? Have they already arrived? No, no, no. They just got that picture and they're passing it on to remind us of, of what we're headed toward. This is Paul on a spiritual journey having not yet arrived at the destination he's still on the way the kingdom of god is the goal that is the destination but he's still on the road he's still driving he's telling us like last week hey look out there's things to look out for on this path beware But keep going. I'm still on this path. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there, but I'm still going. Keep going. I'm not made perfect yet. I haven't arrived. Even later, in another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome... He says, it's like this war is raging in me that I don't do what, what I should be doing. And then I want the things of God, but then sometimes I want the things that God says not to want. And he's like, I can't wait till one day this raging within me is put to death once and for all when I enter the kingdom of God. Now that we can resonate with, can't we? And say amen to that day. That is what the apostle Paul is calling us to. To the one who's discouraged, to the one who looks at Paul and and hears everything he says, and that's beautiful, Paul, but you're like on some other level than I am. Paul's like, I'm not. I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. And it's this reminder, but he says, I press on. I press on to make it my own. I'm still headed in that direction. I haven't abandoned the path. I'm not going someplace else. I am still headed to the destination that we talked about when we were together. And now we're we're separate. That's what he's saying. When he was together, he called them. Go with me. Uh, Join me in this epic journey to the kingdom of God. And now they're separate. And he's writing them, and he's like, keep going. I'm still hit it there. I'm not there yet, but keep going is what he's going to say. There is a determination to press on, to to make it my own, to make every effort, another translation says, to, to take hold of it. I'm still driving. He's like, look, there's been delays. There's been accidents. There's been fender benders. I totaled my car multiple times, and I rented a new car, and I'm still going. See, that makes more sense to us than like a shipwreck, right? Because he talks about shipwrecks, but I don't know the last, like besides a cruise, like when are we on a ship? But imagine you're driving and you're like, I got in an accident. Now what? He's like, I kept going. He got in another accident. Now what? Kept going. Do you see the determination? This is what he's saying but I press on to make it my own. I'm headed in this direction. Nothing can stop me. I'm going to keep going. Yes, there's been hardship. Yes, there's been difficulties on the journey, but I'm still going. Why? Why? did Pauls have such a fierce determination? Why was it that after accidents and after detours and roadblocks, and again and again Paul keeps saying, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take hold of this because because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Another translation says he has seized my heart which is closer to to what it means because Jesus has taken hold of me. The the original language here has this aggressive and violent nature to it of of how it's saying this, for him to take hold of our hearts. It's drawing from sports and military language. And we see this like even today. Oh, it's like a battle on the gridiron sort of thing. Like we use these warlike terms when it comes to sports. It's like saying I've been sacked by Jesus, if you're a football fan, I've been pinned down. If you're wrestling, I've been knocked out. If you're into boxing, like literally like the ancient historians at the time of the apostle Paul used the same exact language when talking about armies pursuing and capturing retreating columns of the enemy. This is what God has done to our hearts. He has seized me. He has pinned me down in his grace and love. And so I'm going to keep going. Whatever hardships come, whatever difficulties, I'm going to keep going because he has grabbed hold of my heart. He's grabbed hold of me. And how can I do anything else? And so he's going to say, I press on. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Again, it's like, don't mishear me. I'm, I'm, I'm pressing in, I'm pressing on, but, but don't think that I've, I've grabbed hold of it yet. I haven't. I'm still in the longing. I'm still in the pursuit. But one thing I do, I'll tell you what I do. Forgetting what lies behind and i straining forward for what lay ahead. I'm not turning back. I've ripped the rear view mirror off the car. I don't even want to see what's behind me. I'm only focused on where I'm heading. And I'm not going to focus on what I've left behind. This is, is what he's saying. My heart and my mind are fixed on where I'm headed. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize, the prize. The prize is not behind us, it's in front of us. For the, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I hear his voice calling me. He's captured my heart and he's calling me home. And, and I'm going to fix my eyes there. And I'm not going to look behind and dwell on where I was, who I was, the good, the bad, the ugly, any of it. I'm going to press forward is what the Apostle Paul calls us to. And then we hear this encouragement that we're not going alone. We're not all on this independent journey. We're in this together. And we hear this call to follow dependable disciples. Verses 14 and 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. There are good examples and there are bad examples on the way. It's essentially a warning. Be careful who you carpool with because some people are going to get you lost and other people are going to lead you in the right direction. Those of us who are mature, He's not just saying, hey, I got everything put together. I have it all figured out. I've obtained, I've reached a destination. He's like, no, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived and I'm not perfect. And that's part of how you know I'm headed in the right direction. See, those of us who are, are more mature are not on a different spiritual plane, hit it to a better, deeper walk with God in that way as the final destination, what it means is they're further down the road than you are. We're headed to the same destination, the same God, the same hope, the same kingdom of God. But some people left before you did. Some of you are newly on this road. And there's things that are learned that the Apostle Paul is like, hey, like, There's been some traffic here. There's a detour here. Look out for these things. There's things you need to be aware of on this path so that you don't get lost, so that you don't lose your way. Maturity is someone who says to you, here's what's true. Here's where we're going. And no, I have not arrived. And no, I am not perfect. And it's a warning against undependable disciples who say the opposite. It's as if the Apostle Paul, like at his time, had people who said that they were perfect, who said they have arrived, and we might think that's absurd. But you look at TV preachers like Kenneth Copeland say that today. That he says the world shortages. This is what Kenneth says: shortages have no effect on someone who has already gone to heaven. Like I've already arrived therefore things like sickness and poverty they have no impact on me they have no effect on us here because i've made jesus christ lord and look at what paul says no this is false their end it says in verse 19 is destruction their god is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things Paul's like, beware. There are untrustworthy people who claim to be hitting in the direction who say, follow me and don't. Because if someone says that they have it all figured out, if they say that they're perfect, they've gone to heaven, and if you follow them, there's no sickness, there's no poverty. There will be wealth and there will be health. And Paul's like, no. I had sickness and I had suffering and I had shipwrecks and God is good, and he sees my heart, and we're going there together. He's like, listen to them. They are mature. Beware who you listen to on the journey. Because not all who claim to be disciples or pastors or leaders are. Paul is extremely strong in his language here. But then there's this shift. Not only is there this like press on, push on, but there's this calling. There's this side that that where Paul takes this in verse 20 that should beckon us forward. But our citizenship is in heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven. But await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think think of this for a moment. The destination, this kingdom of God to which we're called. It's not merely a vacation home. It's not just for a week and then a return to, to normal life. This is a calling home. Like Kirsten and I served overseas as missionaries for about a decade. And during a, a lot of that time, we would be gone out of the U.S. for, for years at a time, living in places where, where the, the language is foreign, the background noise in, in restaurants is confusing, where the, the language, the customs, the culture, everything just felt different. And, and you're trying to find your place, trying to, to fit in, trying to, to live and survive, but it always just feels Awkward, and then after several years, we would come home, and we would fly into Dulles International Airport outside of DC, and like I, there was like a special place for that airport, and and we would come in, and we would hand our passports as we had to numerous other countries, and they would look at it and they would say, "Welcome home." When you even understand the language in the background. <laughs> If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, meaning that you believe that Jesus Christ is the living God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead on the third day, if you have believed on Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven. That is your home. And Paul's reminding us of this. We're not headed to some place that is foreign. We're not headed to some place that is different. We're headed to the place we were created for, that we were made for. When when there's no more sickness, where, where there's no more sin, the brokenness in our bodies, the brokenness in our relationships, The sufferings that we have endured along the journey all melts away. And when we stand at the gates of the kingdom of God and we hear the words, Welcome home, this is what it means to be citizens of heaven. Therefore, because of this, my brothers, Paul's going to give us a command here in verse 4-1. But he gives six descriptions of his affection for his hearers. Look at this. Therefore, my brothers whom I love, whom I long for, who are my joy, who are my crowned, who, who are my beloved, stand firm in the Lord. So as we're on the road, not yet there, right we haven't arrived we're not perfect we still live in the uncomfortable reality of the war raging in us and around us where it feels uncomfortable and it's difficult it's like stand firm in Christ who's who has seized our heart and who is calling us home stand firm in him Don't compare yourself with others and be tempted to quit simply because they're further down the road. We're headed in the same direction. Look to Jesus in humility. Knowing that you haven't arrived yet. No, you're not perfect. No, you don't have it all figured out. But Christ who has seized your heart is calling you home. I want to encourage you to reflect on three questions this week and even take some time this morning. That before we partake of the Lord's table, following this, to to think on this. Like First, in what ways do you currently feel discouraged in your spiritual journey? And, And I want to be careful because... In one way, for those who have not yet placed your faith and trust in Jesus, there's this idea of like, you'll hear Christians talk about a relationship with God. And that's the first step of having our heart seized by Him. So if you're like, I hear Christians talk, the first thing to do is that there is a difference. And it begins with confessing our sin. Confessing that we have fallen short of what God has called me to be and do. To confess that before God and to place my faith and trust on Jesus Christ. That is what initiates and begins that relationship with God. There is a difference there. But then for others who may be newer on the journey of walking with God. And you hear others who you consider more mature, but you're like, man, they just seem to talk about something that doesn't seem to be my experience. I would encourage you to confess that and to focus not on where that other person is, but on who God is, how he has seized your heart and who it is that is calling you home. For those who are mature, I find that that there's still a frustration that builds, even as I get older, like there's this calling of, of what true biblical fellowship looks like, what it looks like to have communion with God and with one another. And there's a longing, even as we get older and as we get closer to the end of our life or Christ's return, where we long for the realization of everything we've hoped in. And I think the danger is, is then we begin to think, oh, that can be found someplace else, either outside the faith, maybe we'll find it at another church, maybe we'll find it if I do this or if I do that, where really our hopes will only be satisfied when we reach the kingdom of God. There is a longing that will only be satisfied when sin is no more, when the raging in myself is no more. It awaits us, so let us press on together. In what ways do you currently feel discouraged in your spiritual journey? That's the first question. Second, how do Paul's words of his own imperfection in Jesus, the fact that he hasn't arrived, how does that bring comfort to your soul? I think it's good to just remind ourselves with both of what's true and that it is true and it's not yet. I think it allows us to give grace when we say, yes, I hope for these things and I long for these things and it's like, oh, to know God and to count it all as, as rubbish, right? To desire only the, the power of the resurrection. Like, yes, I want that and I can stand up here and I feel this and I proclaim it. And then I wrestle with the same truths you wrestle with when I go home. Like the things that we proclaim are true and without error, according to God's word. But there is a wrestling. There there, there is this walk that we're on together to press on. There is this call to press on together. To see and experience its fulfillment. How will you stand firm and press on together with us? Here's the call to stand firm, my brothers. Like when we see it, my brothers, sisters, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy, my crown, my, my beloved, stand firm, keep going. It's like Dory in Finding Nemo, right? Like just keep swimming, just keep swimming. This is Paul, just keep going. Keep going. It awaits us. We're going to obtain it. I haven't yet, but we're going to. Keep going. And there's a togetherness to us. This isn't just an individual call. This was written to a church. It is for a church. There is an individual application to it that each one, but it's also a call to us. And so how will we stand firm? I look back over this passage And I'm reminded in verse 12 that Christ has captured our hearts. When you're tired, when you feel exhausted and you're tempted to give up, begin with the realization of who Christ is and how he has captured your heart. In verse 14, how Christ is calling you home. Do you hear his voice? That the longing, no more sin, no more sickness, no more brokenness, no more tears, no more injustice. Home. Walk together, verse 15. Follow the example of the mature. Beware of the immature who think they have already arrived. And let God stoke in your heart a courageous commitment to stand firm and press on. Let's pray.